Hello, Editing Mandy here to let you know that this episode comes with a big fat trigger warning. If you can't already tell by the title, we will be discussing sexual assault throughout this whole entire episode. So maybe that's something you've experienced, or maybe this is a subject that triggers negative emotions for you. If that's the case, then please don't listen. Um, Otherwise, enjoy. Hey, and welcome to Too Much. I'm Jess. And I'm Mandy. As ethical vegan women, the word extreme is often used to describe us. And honestly, sometimes it feels overwhelming to care so much about so many different things. So we created this show to talk about anything and everything we want, from veganism and other world issues, to feminism and all the controversial topics in between. This is a space for us to be exactly who we are, which for most is probably too much. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to episode, I don't even know, I've lost count at this point. I think we can just stop doing that now. We can just say, we can just say, welcome back. Today is a very special episode because it's our first ever interview. So bear with us if there's any audio issues, but I think we're good to go. So today on the show, we're having Riley and Kim from the No Society. Um, Would you guys mind explaining to us what exactly that is? Yes. So the No Society is a community of survivors. Our slogan is by survivors for survivors. So everyone working within the organization is a survivor. And um, basically, we provide group community, one-on-one community, um, and all sorts of different services for survivors of sexual assault. We're just trying to create a safe place for everyone to come and just be. I know it's there's a lot of pressure in the world that we are today with being a survivor and the way that we we feel like we need to act. Um, but it's just a, a space for people to just be. I love that. Would you guys want to go over a little bit more about yourselves and how you guys met and kind of got to starting this? Yes. My name is Riley and um, a little bit about myself. I grew up in BC. I grew up in the Fraser Valley area. I now live in the Kootenays. Basically, I uh, created the blueprint for the No Society out of my own experience going through the system as a sexual assault survivor. And um, so for the last, you know, two and a half years, I've been working on this um, vision that I had and trying to bring it to life. In June, I started throwing out, I guess, uh, my vision into the universe to see what came. And because I needed, I couldn't do it by myself. It's just not a one uh, woman job. So I started throwing it out into the universe on Instagram and on Twitter. And uh, lo and behold, (laughs) Kim and I uh, found each other on Twitter by both being vocal about this issue and talking about our experiences publicly. And so I reached out to her told her a bit about my vision. She said, girl, I have the exact same vision and have been thinking about this too. And so, um, yeah, we just decided to partner together and make it happen. Yeah, I don't know. We were the same age, and so we graduated the same year. So we kind of knew of each other, you know, in high school and things like that. You you just kind of know. Um, we never really talked, though. No, we were from different high schools, but yeah, same age category. So we followed each other on the social medias. That's yeah. why we met on Twitter. Yeah. And um, hmm. I remember she tweeted 
something about her story and I <laughs> I was writing her a message just saying something like girl like I I am so proud of you for being vocal like yes if you need anyone to talk to like I I am right there with you like let's talk about it and as I was typing this message she messaged me she's like hey um thanks for being vocal you want to hear something crazy? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And she hit me with this and she's like, I have been looking for someone in the valley and all these arrows are pointing at you and you want to hear this crazy story? And she laid it out for me and I was like, dude, this is exactly what I have envisioned. It was the way that I see it is like that scene from Frozen where She's like, you want to hear something crazy? And then like, yes. <laughs> like, you want to hear something crazier? That was it. We banged her out in like a week. Yeah. Like a weekend. We, like we met on Skype wow. and I, I already had, like, like I said, the blueprint for the organization created. I just really need help to make, like, making it come to life. And so uh, as soon as I handed her my vision, she just took it and ran with it and totally made it happen. And uh, yeah, together we were able to work really efficiently and get it done. I guess we should kind of give the listeners context. I know Riley through Instagram as well. It's funny. We're all kind of internet friends because Riley is vegans and she made a vegan page and that's kind of how we connected. And it was kind of the same deal. I feel like we did know of each other a little bit through Instagram. We got talking more and then we were just kind of like online internet vegan friends as Jess and I were for a while too and and then uh, Riley and I got together for coffee before COVID started and she laid a pretty heavy story on me which is pretty much why they're here today so and that's why we're so excited to have you guys because yeah you just started the No Society when did it did you start it up just like a month ago? Just about a month ago, yeah, mid-July, but it's been a two-and-a-half-year project. That's crazy. So, yeah, so it's all started up now, and we're so excited to actually dive deep into why you guys started it and what inspired you. Kim, where are you from originally? Born and raised in BC. Was born uh, up north in Fort St. John, actually, um, and I've been in the Valley. So I'm in Abbotsford now. I've been in Abbotsford for the last... 13 years or so. And is this society mostly focused on locals, would you say? Yes and no. Um, obviously, community-wise, we want to be able to stay local so we can actually have personal relationships with the people we're working with um, and serving. And so, um, you know, a lot of our in-person services, we can only go so far. But the blog is completely open to everybody. We, I guess we didn't mention this yet, but we have a blog where survivors can uh, submit their stories to release into the world anonymously, or they can put their name on it, whatever they feel most comfortable with. And uh, that is open to people. We've had submissions from the U.S. already um, as well. And so, uh, yep, that's widespread. That's for everybody. Um, All survivors are welcome to share and uh, hear each other's experiences and and feel, you know, less alienated by finding other people that have the same stories as them or similar. And but yeah, uh, in terms of, you know, our more um, physical services, we can only really provide that locally. Yeah. So we have the Fraser Valley and the Kootenays growing would be a dream and a half but we'd have to find the right people to expand it i've read a lot of the stories on the blog and they just make my blood boil so i'm excited to get into that with you guys yes i'm not a blog reader ever until you guys started this 
The stories are horrible, obviously, but very informative. We show, obviously, the darkness and the the nitty-gritty of of the reality of what happens, but we also try to be, you know, productive and encouraging and sharing things that help people heal as well. Great resources for survivors and their loved ones to be able to watch, to, you know, understand the issue better and understand loving survivors better. And so, yeah, we try to throw some positive stuff in there once in a while as well. Try to be as uh, relatable as we can for people who aren't ready to open their story or open up about their story just for people to understand like okay i you also feel like that cool okay i'm not crazy yeah just just bringing that light and just showing you hey you are not alone as cheesy as that sounds like you aren't alone and we're we're here to kind of show that to you yeah breaking the isolation of the experience i as i've gotten older and just been actively learning a lot more about all this, I'm just becoming so much more aware about how prevalent and pervasive this issue is. Can you guys speak a little bit about, in Canada maybe specifically, how pervasive this issue actually is and why people need to be more concerned about it? Yeah, I can throw some generalized numbers out there. Um, I do know one in three women in Canada are sexually assaulted. You know, that's a third. That's that's a lot. Yeah. And and honestly, 100% of us have been sexually harassed in some way or yeah. in multiple ways mm-hmm. our entire lives. So it's really an everybody issue. Women are half the population. Obviously, this doesn't only happen to women, but um, women are the people that we're Uh, focusing on just because that's our area of experience and so that's Mm -hmm. who we feel I guess credible to be able to help yeah so one in three women in Canada are sexually assaulted and only about one in ten or so actually end up telling anybody at all so you know most people don't think they know a survivor likely they do because you know nine out of ten don't tell anybody because they don't feel like they're in a safe place to or they're ashamed of it and we really want to empower people to be able to feel like they can speak up about it because it's really helpful in healing to be able to speak to safe people about it and so you know if if people don't have that already in their own lives that's part of what we really want to be able to provide Um, so if they don't have somebody in their own inner circle that they feel safe telling, you know, then they have a a community of survivors here that they can share with. And, uh, hopefully that'll aid in their healing process quite a lot. And then from that small number of people who actually share their story, only a small percentage actually seek justice and then only a tiny fraction actually receive justice, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it's something like one in a thousand cases actually make it to court. I mean, it's understandable why so many people don't go to the police, but I think a lot more people would if they had the right resources and the right people around them to do so. And it's just a fact that a lot of people don't have that. They don't they don't have the security, and it's never going to be in everyone's best interest to go. If we can support more people through that whole system, then more abusers will end up in prison. We just want to fix those numbers. It seems like such a huge job, but if we had a way, you know, to encourage people to speak up, which is what we're trying to do, like there's there's so many people who have posted on our blog who posted for the first time ever. That's their first time ever telling their story, which is so, I mean, it's such a public way to say it. There's so many women who are so encouraged and they're just feeling so empowered. Starting the conversation is 
the first step, I think, to diminish those numbers. And teaching people, like we want to actually stop those numbers from happening in the first place <laughs> by educating people on consent. There's always going to be some monsters out there. The issue isn't created by women, obviously, so that's not going to be the solution to the problem. Putting people away is great, getting justice is great, but in order to end the issue, we're really going to have to also speak into men, the perpetrators, usually the perpetrators. Yeah, that's one of the things that throws me is that every woman knows a woman who's been assaulted, but no men know someone who's done it. I mean, obviously, yes, a lot of men protect each other. In my own incident, I know there was a friend that knew, but I know also that a lot of these perpetrators are also really good master manipulators and a lot of their family and friends would never guess them. It's often very, very well-liked people, well-loved people, well-respected people. It often shocks people, you know, when they find out who those people are. A lot of people are surprised. What? Like, it would never be. What do you mean it's him? It would never be. It would never be that person. And it's like, well, surprise. <laughs> That's very scary. And yeah, when you think about it, it does make sense because that's why they continually get away with this shit because nobody expects it nobody calls them out they don't seem quotations like a perpetrator whatever that looks like like it's not just men in dark alleys it's someone you know i mean like-minded people always find each other too so it is possible that you know a bunch of people that are like that would end up clumping together and protecting each other. That is also a reality. Obviously, we would love to know what inspired you guys to start the No Society. We would love if you guys shared your stories, but do not feel obligated by any means. And I do know maybe you guys can't for certain reasons as well. Yeah, I can start. I can share bits and pieces of my story. I can share a blueprint of my story, but I do have an open case. So I do have to be cautious with what I share um, in terms of, you know, names and locations and specifics. But I can I can give a, a bit of an outline. I believe it was 2018. Oh, gosh. Yeah, like two and a half years ago. I was at a university event and then I uh, went somewhere afterwards for a drink with a friend and I got drugged. I don't remember from the moment the drink touched my lips, like I am completely blacked out for hours, like completely, completely gone. I get a hint of a memory outside of the place that we were, and I remember saying no to going to this person's house who had invited us over. I remember very clearly saying, no, we can't go because I was supposed to be hopping on a flight really early the next morning. And I was like, I got to get home. Like I got to sleep for my flight. And then I black out again. So it's completely gone after that for a while. Then the next memory I have, I'm in someone's apartment and it's just happened that fast. So I was drugged, taken somewhere against my will. And I was in there for, I don't even know how long, a couple hours, got myself out, had to <laughs> hop on a flight the next morning to Europe. Uh, for a wow. work conference. Yeah, that was fabulous. I didn't end up going to the conference. I ended up staying in Europe for a while and just processing what happened, luckily. So I shared a bit about that on the blog last time. I put out my uh, some of my poetry for, that I wrote while I was in there. I went to the police a couple weeks later and I went through the whole system. So I have some insight on that. Uh, yeah, but my case is still open. It's been two and a half years and uh, we're, still, we're still kicking it. <laughs> this is a good place to add on that as I went through the system, that's what inspired the No Society was I, as I went through the system and getting help and going to the police, I noticed such a void for so much. Like I felt like I was lacking 
so much as I went through that system. So much hurts survivors more than it helps. Um, a lot of the resources hurt survivors more than it helps. I just kind of took notes about all of it while I was going through the system. You know, once I felt healthy enough and well enough, I reviewed those notes and tried to create something out of them. Wow, I can't believe you had the, I don't know if mental capacity is the right word, but when you go through something like that and kind of have to relive it all over again when you are going through the system, I imagine, that you would be mindful enough to take notes and be wary of your process because it was so traumatizing. Have you always been that kind of person to be mindful of what you're going through? Yeah, well, I've had a, I've had a weird passion for, uh, I guess, the issue of human trafficking for pretty much my whole life, like as long as I can remember. I think I, I saw a video uh, in a church service when I was like six. And from that moment, I was like, that's what I'm gonna do. I've been researching that my entire life, hyper-focusing on it, I guess, because I just really felt it as my life calling. Yeah, I definitely entered into my situation with an advantage of already doing so much research and having such a huge passion for survivors of this type of stuff. Kim, do you feel comfortable sharing your story or some of it? So I actually wrote my story on the blog. My first incident um, happened when I was 12 years old. I was quite young. I was camping. I was down in the States. I have no idea who the person was to this day. Don't know. Don't really care. <laughs> don't want to know. I didn't tell anyone for years. And after I did tell, my parents really wanted to go through the system, but we knew there was no point because it was down in the States and I had no idea who. And it was so many years later, like I had, I I knew that there was no point. So for a couple of years there, I was trying to do the healing myself. And I thought, oh, okay, like I'll just push it down forever and it'll be fine. It'll go away if I stop thinking about it. Not the case. <laughs> and then I had another incident a couple years ago, New Year's Eve. Same sort of idea where I was very, very drunk. Woke up and didn't have my pants on. And I don't know what happened. I just know that there was a guy just sitting across from me, staring at me. And I was like, something bad happened and I'm not safe where I am. So we left. And then a couple years ago, I had a really bad concussion. And I found that when that happened, a lot of the emotion that I had suppressed for years and years and years, everything resurfaced. And I was in probably the, the worst mental states I think I've ever been. My mom, actually, she found a retreat online. It was through the Unique Foundation, which is it's a makeup line which is kind of funny. I remember she ordered her makeup online. I was like, mom, why are you doing that? Like, go to the store. What do you mean? Like, and she's like, Kim, no, like all of this money that I spend on this makeup goes directly to this foundation. It's down in Utah. There's a retreat that is specifically for survivors of sexual assault. It's just a community of survivors from all over just to be together and just heal, you know, feel that community and feel that support within one another. The application process was really hard and it was really intense and I had to dig pretty deep into my story and pull out a lot of things that I've pushed down for so long. It was honestly one of the most incredible experiences in my entire life. Like I would mm -hmm. recommend it to absolutely anyone. It was, I don't know, I've never felt so normal in my entire life. That was one thing that really inspired 
me to do something about that. When Riley came to me, she went through the whole system of reporting and, you know, going through the whole justice system. And I did not. But I knew that I needed to bring that sense of community and that sense of togetherness to the Valley. And so I think with you feeling so strong about one thing and then I felt so strongly about another thing, it and when we got together, Riley was like, here's my idea. And I'm like, that's great. Here's my idea. Riley's thing is, you know, helping survivors through the whole process, which I completely understand. And I, I support that 100%. Like, I'm right there with you. But I want to see people heal from it. Being surrounded by women who understood and who you know you didn't need to justify any of your emotions and it was unreal that I want to bring that to the survivors that we're helping. The experience of being a survivor is feeling isolated, feeling like everything around you is a blur and you're just all alone in your little bubble of experience and it really feels like no one sees you or sees what you're going through, what's going on in your brain. There's so much in your mind. Like there's, you know, scenarios sometimes where I'm at a social event and I completely freeze up and all that's going on in my mind is my uh, attack playing on repeat. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm at a social gathering and that's all that's going on in my head and I have to try to remain calm and stay normal while, you know, someone's talking to me and I can't really hear what they're saying. It's just distorted entirely. And like, I guess what I felt I needed so badly was just to be in a safe place where like I could release that and just not feel so alone. And then here's Kim who, who, you know, went on this retreat and had that exact experience and knows how valuable it is to be in a room full of people who get it. I had this idea and I didn't know if it would happen because I had never experienced it. I had never been in a room full. I that's just what I craved. And then Kim's like, yo, I did that. And so uh, it was really affirming. Wow, crazy. Is that kind of the goal for you guys in the future? Because Kim, you said this retreat was in Utah, right? And all I'm thinking is, why did you have to go to freaking Utah? Why isn't this stuff available in everybody's town? Of course, I mean, that's that's an easy thing, easy thing to answer as a woman. Of course, we know why it's not available because nobody gives a shit about us. But is that your guys' goal in the future to kind of have something you said you said you can do the online thing right now, the whole physical thing? What's what's the plan there? Of course, we just started out. We, things just launched. So we're still trying to figure everything out but eventually we want to start doing like mini groups and just whether people want to talk or people just let's go mini golfing let's watch a movie let's hang out you know and just start small obviously right now things are a little bit funky with the pandemic and hanging out is a little bit restricted and the dream is having a physical building where we have people who like we have a space and we have people who understand and whether that be therapists or it be just Riley and I or whatever but we have a physical space where people can just come and just release just be as far as it being in Utah they don't release the address to anybody I was like hello where are you driving me right now they picked us up from the airport in these vans it was a group of 40 there was 40 of us people flew in at different times and things like that but they met us at the airport everyone was around my age kind of we're just driving and we lose service and we're just driving so far into the mountains and we're like are we going skiing like what, what's going on <laughs> what, what are we doing a really unique thing about this retreat too is the whole thing was made with survivors in mind the most surreal place that i've ever been in my entire life like it was hello i'm in a movie that's the goal is bringing 
a retreat here where you don't have to fly to Utah to get there. <laughs> we'll definitely start with the resources we have right now. It's community groups locally. We're hoping for the fall to be able to, to do those meetups, um, small meetups. But in the future, I mean, we'll take it as far as we can throw it. If the resources come to us, which we're really hoping they will, having an actual retreat here would be fabulous. And we have other ideas too, but it's all going to come down to, will the passionate people step up? Will they latch on to our vision and, you know, I guess really sacrifice their lives to be a part of it. You guys also were talking about how you want a place to get together in real life where you can, you know, sit around and talk about what happened to you guys and relate to each other. But you also mentioned like just going mini golfing and going to the movies. Do you find when you're hanging with people who haven't gone through the same thing as you, is there just certain things that people miss? Do you find it just hard to relate to them? A hundred percent. No, a hundred percent of women have dealt with harassment, not so much sexual assault, but harassment for sure. So a lot of people can relate to that, but not a lot of people understand the aftermaths of what happens to you. I know for myself, being a child and having something as traumatic as rape happened to me, it totally changed the way that my brain functions. So triggers are huge. You know, you have your flight or fight response, but you also have your freeze, which gets yeah. thrown in there too. A huge thing for me during this retreat is like, you could sit around with all these women and you all know that you have one thing in common, but you don't even have to talk about it at all and still feel so supported. Like, it's like, hey man, I get it. Like you just yeah. look at you and be like, I get it. Like you're crying right now, mm -hmm. I get it. Like I don't need to explain myself. I can't do that with all my friends. I mean, some of them I definitely can, but a lot of them I can't. I mean, it's really hard because you can't expect people who aren't survivors to, or even people you haven't told your experience to, to understand your triggers and know what they are and to know exactly the perfect way to deal with them. If your friend is freezing up funny and your, or your friend is completely like all of a sudden just snapped and just like zoned right out or if they ran hysterically crying into another room, <laughs> it can look like so many different things. Mm -hmm. But if you have a friend that's doing something like that, don't feel bad about, you know, thinking about if you did something wrong you probably did nothing wrong. And even mm -hmm. if you did, there's no way you could have known that. Mm -hmm. The best thing for you to do in that moment is not to, I guess, stomp on what they're feeling, not to tell them not to feel that way. You wanna let them feel justified and let them feel like the way that you're feeling is okay. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come at you for feeling a trigger or something. And like you said, if you don't know, don't just be like, okay, you big weirdo, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> why, are you, why are you, why are you crying right now? Like, stop. Like, we're just in a group of people that you don't know. Like, why are you crying? And it's like, I don't want to tell you, but I, I'm not happy about it. To put it in a really practical way, I had an experience where somebody supported me really well without knowing what I was going through. And I've had most of my stories, I've got a lot of stories of people not doing the right thing to do. But the right thing to do was, I mean, one time I had a panic attack at a group event that I was actually partially leading. And I sat down on a bench, everything. It was like I was underwater. Like I could not respond. Mm. I couldn't hear, I couldn't see, I couldn't breathe. I was just sitting on this bench completely gone and somebody just walked right over to me. She didn't question what I was, you know, what was happening. She asked me if I was fine. I obviously didn't really respond. So that was a no. She was just like, okay, like, do you wanna go to my car? 
And then I was like nodding my head, I was like, yeah. And so she like guided me to the car, sat me in there, sat with me, didn't say anything, didn't ask any questions, just waited, I guess, until I started to snap out of it. And then I was like, sorry, dude. And she was like, it's totally cool. Like, what do you want to do right now? And I was like, I don't think I can stay here. She's like, all right, where can I take you? Like, that was it. It was completely validating. It was affirming. It was- That's a good word. Yeah, she didn't tear down my experience. She didn't try to like make me explain it to her. She didn't act like it was weird. Mm -hmm. She was just like, oh, this person's not feeling very great and so I'm just going to make them feel safe the bad experiences where you know you have a panic attack in public or you freeze you do the flight thing and you run to the bathroom and you like can't come out and and socialize and then you have people like Riley where are you knocking on the door Mm -hmm. come on come join the party woohoo smile like what's making you so sad and like completely stomping on what I'm experiencing and it's it's hard because they don't understand what's happening Mm -hmm. but if I'm clearly not okay. It's not good to try to make some, force somebody to act like they're feeling okay ever. Mm-hmm. It's just best to make them feel safe. We understand that people aren't going to understand. There's no perfect way to do it. I would just mm-hmm. say the advice I would give is try your best to be a safe place. Safe is like, underline it four times, bold it, like put the little clapping mm-hmm. emoji between each leather. Like you need, safety is huge. Do you have any advice for men who might want to help someone? Because I can imagine you wouldn't want to be taken away and helped by a strange man. I think it depends on your relationship with said man. If said dude knows your story and knows what you're going through, I think that's they'll respond the way that a friend who knows would. I think if it is a rando, stranger danger, get out of my face, you know? Like, like, don't. Like, don't even (laughs) try. If you don't know me and you don't know my story, and I'm having a panic attack at the bar, don't even look at me. Yeah, the best thing to do there is to the person who's clearly not having a good time, find their friend or find a girlfriend of your own, like, you know, somebody else you know to go check on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely not a good idea for, especially if like you, you said, a rando to, a ra- yeah, to yeah. approach yeah. you and like touch your shoulder and be like, are oh. you fine? Like right in their face? No, don't do that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Stranger danger, get out of my way. Yeah, but if it's a friend, like I've had my guy friends support me really really well yeah yeah by just coming and sitting beside me not touching me i'm here what can i do you know i've actually had some of the best support that i've had have been my guy friends which is incredible i think those guys who are like man like guys are shitty and it's like yeah you're right some of them are like some of them suck and it's just strictly like hey just rant some girls try to relate to what you're feeling and they're like, oh, I get it, you know? Or like, oh, like, yeah, I deal with that sometimes too. Like, this is what I do. And it's like, okay, cool. Versus like a lot of my guy friends are just like, hey man, what's going on? Let's talk about it. And they won't say anything. They're not gonna interrupt you. They're just gonna let you word vomit about how you're feeling. What about when people are trying to be nice and make you feel supported? but they do the exact opposite. Just language, like, oh, you're so brave. Oh my God, okay, the the worst, (laughs) the absolute worst. I can't speak for you, but for me, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry that happened to you. Or like, oh my God, you're so brave for opening up. I'm like, shut up, like, stop. Thank you, but like, no, like, you're right. You know, I am opening up and I'm, I feel empowered enough, but like having people be like, oh my God, I am so sorry that happened to you. That is so sad. And you're like, you're right, it is. I know I loved it a couple times. I don't like it when people freak out about it or like when people act scared of it or like horrified because it makes me feel like they're horrified by me. I think it's important to try to stay calm when this person Mm -hmm. decides to open up 
to you because when you act so shocked and so horrified and disgusted, sometimes it makes us feel like we're the disgusting thing. That's obviously not the case. <laughs> if those are feelings that we are already struggling to fight off, it kind of like reinforces that. Mm -hmm. So when somebody opens up to me, I try really hard to stay calm, almost mimic how they're responding to what they're saying you got to read the room i've told friends who completely freaked out and they were like oh my gosh i don't know how to receive the message that you are telling me and they completely freak out and then i've had other people who are like okay so where do we go from here you know what do we do next from all of my experiences i kind of reciprocate that response and i read off of that and i read your body language and i say okay maybe i shouldn't have told you yeah and then it makes us feel like guilty for placing that burden on you like a lot of people if they start crying or like be hysterical you know we are like oh we just like added negativity to their life yeah. we just put this huge weight on their back and then it makes us hate ourselves more mm -hmm. and it makes our fight every day harder so staying calm i think is really important as much as you can obviously like sometimes you have emotions and you can't help it but if you if you can it's it's best to not freak out that's really good to know because if i'm being honest when riley and i got together and and you told me your story riley i was quite taken aback and it's very different like you guys said if a friend tries to relate to you or something if Jess comes to me and she's like, oh, this guy was like chucking me out at the gym. It was so annoying. I'd be like, oh, been there, done that. When a friend comes to you with something so extreme like this that I've never, I've never personally never been through, it is kind of hard to know how to respond and you want to respond in the right way, but you don't really know how. It's not the same as, you know, just being like, oh, I've been through something kind of like that on a very, 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 very minor scale. It's not the same at all. You actually handled it really well, though. Like when I told you, I was, I said it quite casually. We were in public. You were just speaking at a very normal rate. It, it was very normal level. And I remember thinking, even when I was responding, I didn't know if I should be too loud about it and I think we talked about that while we were there I was like wow like we're in public and you just said that you seem to have no shame about it at least at the time and you made a really amazing point you said you hope somebody overhears you what if somebody around has gone through the same thing the reason why you responded well was because you mimicked where I was and you mimicked my emotions and I guess the way I approached it, you know, that's what you reciprocated. I mentioned it really casually. I'm a person who've worked really hard to be able to do that. And I, because I wanted to be able to do that because it makes sharing easier when I'm mm. able to remove emotion from it and say it really point blank. And I'm a person who wants to share about it. That's not everyone's case. Your response to me was perfect. That would probably be the wrong response to someone who's in a really vulnerable position right now. Mm. But that wasn't the case. I don't think you would have done that anyways because you would have seen that they were in a vulnerable position and you're really good at reading people. I honestly had never thought about it that way. The fact that you saying it casually and kind of, you know, at, at a volume where somebody else could hear you, that wasn't me, that never occurred to me that somebody could be sitting in that same cafe and might have gone through the same thing that you did. One of my biggest passions in life now, I guess it's a new passion since I became one of these people, but one of my biggest passions in life is removing the shame from the survivor and mm -hmm. placing it where it deserves to be. Yes. I understand why some people feel so ashamed and so therefore we should protect their stories and we should obviously mimic their reactions like we were saying. For a person like me who's really taken the power back 
from mm -hmm. my scenario. And I feel like I'm in a position where I can try to break that stigma around survivors. And I, yeah, I feel empowered enough to do so. So yeah, when I'm out in public, I say it just, you know, at the same tone that I say everything else, because I don't think that I should have to carry that shame with me. I don't Absolutely. think I should have to hide what I went through. I don't think I should have to dance around it, numb it down. I don't think that I should have to uh, cater to anyone else's feelings about it. Mm -hmm. It's just so not my shame to carry. And so I reject it. Do I still struggle with it? Yes. Sometimes I do still feel that shame, but I reject it with, you know, sliver of energy that I have. I reject it because it's, that's somebody else's. If you're just an everyday person, maybe you're posting about this and trying to help create awareness. What language should people use to be mindful of survivors like sexual assault versus maybe a more intense word what should people be saying what should people not be personally i don't like using the r word part of that might be because i've experienced it and for me the r word is a it's a big deal i like to use sexual assault because i feel like it is more broad and it covers a lot of bases you don't have to be raped to experience sexual assault like it can be something so different and you can still be a survivor. Using the word survivor versus victim, that's a huge one too, because victim just sounds aggressive and mean, and there's a, just a big negative cloud over it, but it's like, no, sweetheart, you aren't a victim anymore, like you're a survivor. And I know for me, when I was able to make that switch in my mind where I'm not a victim anymore, I'm a survivor, that's where the healing started. Riley was talking about that shame, like that's where that shame started to leave. No, 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 I'm not a victim anymore, like I'm a survivor. And so I'm gonna take off this blanket and when, when I'm taking off this blanket, I'm removing that shame. Riley said that shame comes back, but telling yourself, hey Kim, you're not a victim anymore, you're a survivor, what the heck? You're a badass, powerful ass woman, like you're not a victim. <laughs> yeah, for sure, the more that you start kicking that shame in the ass, the easier it gets. It'll always try to sneak up on you. You learn how to uh, kick it in the ass. I personally reserve the R word for when I need to be sharp and intense when I need to grab people's attention. If I was speaking to a group of people and I was trying to get them to wake up and care about this issue, I would use the R word. Yeah. You know, in court, they use the R word to really uh, enforce and and shine light on how intense the issue is. But when you think survivors are in your audience, then I would refrain from using it just because it is triggering and oftentimes when we hear that word our focus on what you're saying will zone out and then all will hyper focus on that word hearing it for me personally is um harder than reading it reading it is is not as aggressive but hearing that word oftentimes i will just uh suck right you know suck right out and then i'm just gone for a couple moments and then I have to snap myself back in. So just going off of that too, I think it depends on who you're talking to as well. Who's saying the R word? I think Riley and I have a pretty have a pretty good relationship where because her and I have experienced the same thing in a totally different way, you know, we can say the R word, but we can lean on each other at the same time versus when we're telling our stories, whether it be online or it be to someone else or whatever, because I was so young, I like to say you took my innocence. That's what I say. That's what I wrote when I wrote my blog. I feel like it's enough for people to know, but it's also enough for people to kind of question it a little bit. I think it paints a good enough picture to, for people to be like, oh, 
shit that's what happened okay i mean our blog obviously is open for everybody to read whether you're a survivor or not majority of it is survivors and it is it is targeted for survivors right you know some of those words are triggering to other survivors who might not be in the position that riley and i are you know they might still be wearing that blanket of shame and they might still be seeing themselves as a victim and i don't want to put anyone's healing process backwards we're here to push you forward and i don't want to be pulling you back i have a really great friend now this person's a really great guy they just like people can be they're very ignorant sometimes and uh very soon after my incident they got into like a phase of using that word as an adjective i'll say it you know in case it's not clear but somebody would um block you know someone's shot on a basketball court and they'd be like oh he totally raped him that was bad that was really mm -hmm. really bad like they're it's completely ignorant he has yes. no idea yes. i was in the room mm -hmm. he had no idea what i was going through cancel rape jokes it's it's best to just not use that word unless you're very specifically trying to get an intense point across. Yes. It's never gonna be funny. It never has been funny. Figure it out, get a better punchline. What are you doing? Um, so kind of going off of what we've been talking about, it's often said that sexual assault is about power. Do you think that holds up? Is it about power? It's about a lack of power. It's about weakness and uh, feeling to try to grasp power for a few moments. The people that do this, it's not a powerful thing to do. It's a weak ass thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's something people resort to, yeah, to try to grab onto the feeling of power. Does it make them powerful? No. I'd like to specify that it's about a, about a lack of power, yeah. On the flip side to that though, as a survivor though, like, in the moment you feel powerless and you know you might feel powerless for weeks even months years after that your healing journey is about regaining your power and getting your power back and you don't control me anymore you don't control my emotions i'm not going to let you control my emotions i am taking back myself and i'm taking back my power from you that you took from me and i'm taking that back is it about power i mean a lot of times it is you and someone else whether it be multiple people, whether it be, you know, a situation which is it's a one-on-one -on -one thing. I think one person is weak as fuck. And I think the other person is strong as hell. People who truly feel strong and powerful don't need to resort to that. It's not an addiction thing. There's so many ways to fulfill that desire in you. You know, if you want sex, there's so many other ways to achieve that. So yeah, like it is, it is about people wanting power. Where that comes from, could be a gazillion things. I'm actually curious if you guys have any advice for someone who might be listening who maybe just recently has gone through something like this. What's amazing me right now is you guys, your guys' incidents happened quite a while ago, so you've had some time to heal, and I'm sure you both have gone to therapy and, and gone to your retreats and all that. What's your advice to someone who maybe has just gone through this? It's the hardest thing. It's mm -hmm. the hardest thing to reach out for help. It's it's never going to be easy. The longer you wait, it's not gonna get easier. It's just hard. That's just point blank what it is, but it's also the most rewarding thing you can ever do. Um, if you have someone in your inner circle to do that with, if you feel safe with someone, great. That's obviously best case scenario. If you don't, obviously that's what we created the No Society for. Um, we want to walk with you through all this. We want to create a safe space for you to, I guess we should probably disclaim that right now, we are not at all therapists by any means, we're not doctors, so we don't fill 
those shoes, but we can fill the, you know, the need for support, support, and um, as much understanding as we can provide, I guess, more understanding than other people and community reaching out and having other people, other people there to catch you fall and on your bad days and to, to try to help lift you up out of the water on those days will aid you in being able to get the help that you need. Once we become a registered charity, we're going to be offering financial assistance to get counseling and to get also massage therapy. That was a huge helper for me in reintroducing love back to my body and back to my spirit. You know, we're going to be able to help more tangibly eventually, but right now reaching out into the world, even if it's just to one safe person is one of the most helpful things you can do. You aren't alone. That's a really important point to get across. You are not alone and it feels that way, but reaching out despite how hard it is, will show you that it's not true. And there are other people wanting to walk with you through it. Just to add on that, I think for survivors who are you know, new to the situation, who are just kind of figuring it out, in some situations, there's a lot of gray area. There's some times where you know exactly this is exactly what happened and that, that's not okay. And there's other times where it's a little bit of a gray area for some. If you think what happened to you was wrong, it was wrong. If it crosses your mind for a second and if you have to second guess something like, wait, 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 I didn't like that. Like that wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. And you are in the same boat as the rest of us. You know, it doesn't make you any less of a survivor. If it's a situation where I gave consent and then I took my consent away, but maybe I didn't say it, you know, properly or like maybe I didn't actually say no you know, maybe I didn't say stop. If you think it was assault, it's probably assault. Trust your instinct, trust your gut, feel the way that you feel like you need to feel. Don't feel pressured to be like, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to pretend like this didn't happen. You know, like I made that mistake for a long time. Don't feel pressured to report either. I know a lot of times if you tell your family and you tell your friends, a lot of people are like, oh my God, we got to go to the police. But for some people that's, that's not the case. And that's not a safe place to go. You have to do what's best for you, what's best for your mind what's best for your heart and your soul and you just have to nurture yourself and be what you need in that moment you know it's not going to come to you overnight therapy is awesome like riley said talking to people is awesome i know i didn't start healing until i started opening up the more that i talk about it the more closure that i get the more that i tell people the better i feel when i first started talking about it i was like oh my gosh i can't tell anybody but now i'm like hey i'm kim and this is what happened to me we've actually had quite a few people reach out to us being like i didn't know if i should reach out or not but i just really need like for my own healing journey like closure on the answer of if i was assaulted or not like i actually don't know it's a really important really great thing for people to do if you don't know like reach out if you need that affirmation for your healing journey talk to us like we're you know obviously everything's confidential and a total safe place we're not scared of your stories this is our our day-to-day -day conversation so nothing freaks us out you don't need to worry about burdening us we have people doing that and then um and we're just so thankful that they do because that affirmation really is so important for people's healing journeys mm -hmm. um just to know i am a survivor like i'm not just somebody feeling crazy all the time over something that i don't even yes. know happened or not yeah if you're thinking about reaching out we've both been there and we know how freaking difficult it is but it's worth it the reward is everything and it's the reason why we're here today and it's the reason why 
we're talking to you so casually about what happened to us and from a healthy place is because we got the help that we needed. It's so shitty because it's something, you know, that you didn't ask for. Somebody did something and you're paying for it, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's something that we have to come to terms with eventually that, yeah, we're paying for somebody else's mistakes always. Mm -hmm. And so that I know that that's part of the lump that's so hard to get over to get help. Shoving it down will never result in what you're hoping it will. I mean, I shoved it down for eight years. One day I just, I just snapped and I was like, okay, like, hello. I thought I forgot about you. Like, oh, <laughs> hello there, my old friend. Like my retreat for myself. And once we, I really started that healing journey and um, learning, like, that's why I think like that. What do you mean? Like, I thought I was just crazy. You know, that summer after that retreat, I felt really good. And I was like, yes. And then it happened to me again. And I dealt with it again. And I felt like I was, you know, on a slingshot. And I have all the tools to make myself heal. How did this happen again? How did I let this happen again? It was out of my control. I think because I had dealt with it before, I knew that I wanted to report and I knew that I wanted to go ahead and tell someone right away versus, you know, holding it down for years. I was like, I owe this to myself. I owe this for to my younger self. 12 year old Kim needs this because she didn't get this before. So she needs to get this justice. Concealing something in darkness gives it power. The more that things are hidden and shoved down and hiding in the darkness gives it the power to sneak up on you, gives it the power to, you know, hide and really mess your life up. But when you decide to be, I guess, courageous and shine a light in that darkness and face what's lurking there. It really, it gives the power back to you. You're taking control of what happened and it takes its power away completely. It's kind of like you're a little kid in bed and you think there's a monster under your bed or in your closet or whatever it may be. And then you feel better once you put the lights on. When mm -hmm. things are in the dark, they're so much more scary. And when you shine the light on them and you breathe them out into existence and you speak them out, it feels like taking that power back away from it it really does it might be scary to flip the light switch on and to see what's there but uh it really brings that feeling of power back to you i think too that like the sooner that you are able to do that obviously if you are in a safe place to do that the better the longer that you you keep it in the dark and the longer that you suppress it and the longer that you just kind of brush it off the more intense and the heavier it's going to be when you do decide, okay, I don't wanna feel like this anymore. When you are in a safe place to be vulnerable and you're in a safe place to speak out to whether it be family or friends or a doctor, do that. It's absolutely terrifying and saying that first word, this is what happened to me, this is, this is my story. Like taking that first step is the scariest thing, but once you let it out to even one person, you just feel so light. Like you're like, I can do that again. If I needed to, I could do that again. Riley, are you still okay to talk about your experience with reporting? Yeah, part of what I really wanted to do with the No Society is educate survivors on what that process looks like before they make that decision for themselves. A lot of people never go to the police and, and get that type of help for themselves when perhaps that could have really aided in their healing journey. And on the opposite you know, end of the spectrum, there's a lot of people who jump right in maybe because of pressure from their families or mm -hmm. because in their head that's like what they think the right thing to do is. And so they do go and that's a mistake on their part. They will feel like it's a mistake later on and maybe it'll actually really re-traumatize them. And even just like not knowing what all that's going to entail, it's a shock, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can share a little bit um, about 
what my experience was personally. I, I haven't didn't say this earlier, but there's actually a video that we're releasing about my story, um, probably early September, possibly the end of this month. And it's really touches on yeah going through the system as well and, and goes even more in depth with all that. If people mm. are interested in that, I went to the police three-ish weeks after my incident and I had not thought through it at all. I was one of those people that had it in my mind that this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm just going to do it, especially because I was in a real a place of being quite numb at the time. I, uh, I just didn't even think about it. I just kind of like went the system, the system messed me up in a lot of ways. I had called a, uh, like a victim services helpline at first and, and was like, I really want, like, I want to go to the police, but I, I feel like I can't go back to where the event took place. I can't go back to that specific city. I asked them, if there was any other thing I could do. And they said, yeah, you can go to your local station and they'll bring someone in from the other station to take your statement. I went to my local station, hyperventilated for <laughs> 30 minutes, dry heaved, tried to like get myself to like go into the station. I made it in. I told the lady at the desk that I was assaulted and they said where, I told them where, and they were like, we can't help you. Like basically here's a number to call and like gave me a card. And so that was bad for me that, you know, delayed me going to the correct station for a while because I felt really effed over and I felt like I couldn't go. The station uh, that I had to go to was really near the, the incident. And so I really did not want to go. Eventually I did go. I think about a week later after that, it was not fun. Pretty much you go, they uh, asked me why it took me so long to come in. <laughs> so I had to try to explain that to uh, the constable. You know, they ask for you to bring in the clothes you were wearing if you hadn't washed them, which is uh, helpful for them. They ask every single nitty gritty detail. Um, you have to pretty much relay everything you can remember about the incident, which is really hard to do, especially so soon after the incident. For me, I was shaking so hard that like, my words weren't very clear. Like it was really hard probably for him to understand what I was saying. And it caused a lot of confusion in my statement, which ended up being a problem later on. I mean, I might still actually have to go in and, and continue to clarify myself because it was just so bad at the time. I was so shaken up. I was in there for quite a long time. If you, you know, dance around some things, they'll, you know, stop you and make you go into all that crap, which they need to, which unfortunately that's just awful, but they have to for the, for the case. And then so it's a hard thing to discuss with a man who is the same age category as your attacker so soon after your incident. It was nasty, it was ugly, it was traumatic. Basically, when you give a statement, they're supposed to give you your police file number right away. Uh, I guess my constable forgot. So on the drive home, my husband was driving, so uh, I was able to text. So I texted or emailed the constable and I was like, hey, like I think I need the police file number so I can get victim services. Now here's another flaw in the system. You have to have a police file number to get victim services. It's great victim services exist unfortunately it's not accessible to with anyone. most people not going to the police for reasons that make them sometimes more in need of services <laughs> they end up not being able to access any i suffered from that for a month this man uh the constable did not give me my police file number for a month he just didn't check the email i suppose so uh, i was delayed in getting my services you know the month after i had gone to the police at some point they uh they were like oh we're pretty much uh, cleaning up the file now it's looking pretty good we're uh gonna go to crown next week as soon as i get 
such and such results back from such and such test. It's been two and a half years and we still haven't made it to Crown yet. There's a lot of possible false promises. There's a lot of constables that may, that get put on these cases that haven't been through it before. So they don't actually really know what the timeline looks like. So they end up making promises sometimes that they cannot uphold. For the last two and a half years, I've been on edge, complete fight or flight all the time, being ready to go into battle at any given moment. And so for the first two years, especially, that was really hard on me. But for the last six months, it's finally kind of become my new normal. And um, I just watched a documentary of some girls where it took them nearly a decade wow. for their case. And they had, you know, multiple accusations against the same person. And so when you go and decide to do that, you have to be prepared for the long haul. And a lot of people aren't. And it's a lot of fighting for yourself. Your case might be closed a couple times and you might have to fight to get them reopened. That's uh, something that we are willing to help people with, educating them on what their rights are and what you know the proper investigation process is supposed to look like. And if it's not being done, uh, we can help call that out and help encourage the survivor to fight, I guess, regain control of their police file and fight for it and fight for it to be carried through. Um, it's not, it's an ugly, they give you a fat stack of pamphlets at the hospital. And then again, at victim services, when you go or your whatever social workers you see, there's just so many. I had to call to get myself a counselor. I probably called like 13 different counselors. And each time I called, they'd be like, Hey, like you need counseling. And I'd be like, yeah, Hey, I need counseling. They'd be like, why? And then I'd have to share with them my experience again again and again and again because every time I called they'd either say like after I shared my experience they'd be like okay so like I actually don't have room right now but I can put you on a wait list or they would say yeah I can get you in in four months and I'd be <sighs> like bitch <laughs> I don't need help in four months I'm losing my mind now like I can't leave my bed now that was mm -hmm. a huge problem for me that mm -hmm like that the resources handed out to me were not updated. Even victim services themselves like offer, or like the community center I went to offered free counseling, which was awesome, but there was a four month wait list. Cause it's just like, they don't have enough staff. So if people want to be counselors, that's a great career choice. <laughs> I did eventually find a counselor and she's been awesome. Luckily I've been going now since for two years and it's been a massive part of my healing journey. Mm -hmm. But um, I found her by myself. Uh, it was not from any of the resources given to me because they were all booked up. There's a clinic in Surrey that really saved my life. And if anybody wants to know what that was, that believed every concern that I had about my body, went the extra mile to ensure I was fine, even though my paranoia was telling me I wasn't. Because I've heard so many stories of survivors that go to their like actual doctors or to a clinic and they're like, you're fine, don't worry about it, stop stressing. And it's just like, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> One clinic I went to that was absolutely fabulous. Like there were some things they tested me multiple times over for just for my peace of mind. And that was wow. just like a really, was so good for me and really put my mind at ease. The system mm -hmm. is definitely flawed. It's not yeah. a- People mean well, but it's really hard for people who aren't survivors yes. to support us well. Like I had this great social worker who was like so nice. She was the nicest person ever, but she would talk at a million miles per hour i was like fresh survivor like we described earlier it felt like i was submerged underwater and everything people said was like so distorted and and distant so when she was talking so fast i just like i caught like maybe every sixth word and i would ask her to repeat herself and she would be 
completely thrown off that I wasn't keeping up with her. And then she would hand me all this paperwork to fill out and I would look at it. Every little task that I had at the time, I don't know if you had this can, but like every tiny little task I had in those few months, especially so right at the beginning, felt like climbing Mount Everest. So hard. Something as simple as going to give myself a shower, like was like climbing Mount Everest, like putting makeup on or like feeding myself everything felt impossible that's how i described it to my counselor every tiny little task felt impossible and she put this fat stack of papers in front of me and i couldn't even read the headlines mm -hmm. of the papers like the headers and so that's another thing that we want to be able to help people with is sitting down with them and walking through each question with them slowly and at the pace that they're capable of going at we're not social workers if you go the social worker route and, and you're not really getting what you need from it then you know we can help go through some of that stuff a little slower it's hard when there's so many survivors and there's so few social workers yeah. like they're yeah. talking fast because they need to get you through there in an hour because the next one's coming yeah. in a lot of the system's problem is just that there's not enough workers in the fields that we need them i mean your case has been open for so long but i mean i went through the reporting system as well i can totally relate to Riley about telling people once, twice, three times, four times, and you're just repeating yourself. I did it more so for my younger self. What had happened to me that time wasn't as severe or had a massive impact on me like, you know, my first incident did, but I was like, I, I need to do this. But my case completely fell through, mainly because I knew this guy by a nickname and I didn't know what his actual name was. And we searched through yearbooks and Facebook and I had a friend who knew this guy personally and I was like hey man like this is my situation I'm going to the police about what happened I had told you what happened when it happened I need your help telling me his name and he was like I don't want any part of this I'm sorry and didn't give me the information that I needed and I was like okay he blocked my number and I haven't heard from wow. him since so without that support my case completely fell through i didn't have to go through the process like riley has i mean i went within like four or five days i made the phone call you know you have to give a over the phone report and then you go in and you give another statement and then you give another statement and then they record the whole thing and you know if you slip up if you miss one detail or you say something they're like okay and they'll question you and be like well why didn't you tell me this that like it was like this and they're like okay but are you sure it's like i think so like i th i think it was like that i don't know and when they go into the consent thing they're like okay but did you say no and you're like, well, no, I didn't say no. You know, I was pushing him away or like I was doing this. And you're like, okay, but that's not good enough. Like that's not, that's not no. I'm thankful that my process was, I mean, it sucks that it fell through and I want to fight for it. I just need the help and the information that I haven't been able to get. I want to open it again. I mean, I'm thankful that my experience wasn't as terrible as yours, but it just proves that it's it's not flawless. And the fact that mine fell through just because we couldn't figure out a name, it's like, I think they helped for like a week after and I was talking to my officer for probably a week straight and she's like, hey, did you hear anything? And like, I gave her the number of, of my friend who knew them and they showed up at his door and said, hey, who is this person? And he's like, I don't want any part of this. I don't know. I don't know his real name. I don't know. I only know him by the nickname. I don't know. Very frustrating. So I, I can relate to you on that one where it's like just a never ending loop of this is what happened to me. Why do I need to explain myself? All that being said, though, like for me, even though I wasn't ready at the time and I didn't know that this would be worth it for me, I'm so glad I did it. For me, it was a power move. 
I feel in control. Absolutely. I feel like I'm the one to be feared now. I took my power back, really. Mm -hmm. Even if justice isn't served completely in the end, which it could totally go either way in my case, it was worth it for me. Would it be worth it for everyone? No. I was in a position where I was able to quit my job for a year. You know, I had a really safe community around me to support me. A lot of people didn't have that. I didn't have responsibilities. Like I know a lot of people will have like, they'll be like a single mom and it'll be too much for them to have to go through that and feed their family every day. You know, at the same time, it can really mess people's lives up. But for me, it was worth it. And for a lot of people, it, it will be worth it. And even for other reasons, like what, what you said, Kim, like for needing to do it for your childhood self and letting that be a part of your healing journey. But it's so hard to convict these cases. Like there's so many rules, like, um, and I know this because I'm married to a police officer. So I have some insight with all this. Places like even clubs downtown, they don't need to give the police their footage if they have so it. So wrong. They don't have to. The police need a warrant in order to force them to give the footage over. They won't get a warrant without evidence. Now the evidence, of course, is the footage. Constables can go to every place in town, every taxi service in town, every hotel in town, every club in town, and no one has to give them anything. There's like a lot of big dampers on this whole process that slow this stuff down. It's almost degrading for like as a survivor to hear like, hey, actually I can't do that. And it's like, well, you're a police officer. What do you mean you can't? That's your job. Like you're supposed to protect me. You're supposed mm -hmm. to be able to find this information. Like why can't you just walk in and be like, hey, give me this. It's degrading and it makes you feel like your story isn't worth fighting for, but it absolutely is. Like the only one who can know what's best for you is you absolutely. and you need to follow your gut with it. Thank you so much for that. Someone's trying to gauge whether or not they should go to the police. What do you recommend they look at in themselves in terms of how they're doing or how they're handling situations? Riley, you mentioned when you went to the police early on, you recollected your story. It was kind of messy because it was all so fresh still. Do you recommend people go right away because of course you know your memory fades um but at the same time like you said it was kind of messy and really difficult to to communicate with the police like i said the only person who knows if you can go is you and the only person who can know if it's worth it for you is you um for me i've got like this huge um thing with waste i hate wasting and so for me right off the bat it was a thing for me that I was not going to waste my experience. And um, I would put myself through whatever hell I had to, to make something of it or to do whatever I could, even if that's putting somebody dangerous on the police's radar. For me, it was worth anything I could get out of it. Even though I didn't feel ready at the time to go, I knew I wanted to go and therefore the earlier the better for me. I knew I was going to do it eventually. In that case, if you know deep down that that's something that you need to do, the earlier the better. If you're unsure, don't jump into it. Yes. The sooner that you go, the more evidence there is as well. Absolutely. Um, again, if you are in a position to do it, but if you're not, then don't push yourself. I mean, it might take two years like Riley's did, but the better results that you're going to get the sooner that you go because the evidence is there. If you're unsure and you're really like anxious about the whole like, should I go, should I not? But like, it's not like a complete shut off, like you don't want to go, but you're not completely set on going. The best thing you can do is reach out and mm -hmm. ask somebody who's done it. The information online isn't helpful enough. <laughs> the only 
people who can really give you the full extent of the experience or people who've done it. Yeah, we have a place that you can do that. So feel free to reach out and ask us to go over your incident with you in as much or as little detail as you want to help you come to that decision. If you feel like that's something eventually you need to do, do it as early as you possibly can. Absolutely. Which might not be the first day. Like I said, for me, it took a week to build the courage. And like, if you need that week, then take that week. Where can the listeners reach you guys? Where can they reach the No Society and and you guys individually as well? Yeah, so we have our website, thenosociety.com. That's where you can find our blog. That's where you can find as many resources. We are slowly working on building a really solid resource panel um we are getting our information from our own experiences as well as other survivors so again the website is by survivors for survivors there's so much fluffy stuff that just that doesn't help and we want to get rid of that fluffy shit it all out exactly we want to skip the hard shit and we want to just get straight to the stuff that's going to help like that's what our resource section is going to be that's where you can find our our blog that's where you have all of our contact information as well if you need to reach out if you just need some sort of support you can email us that's where you can submit your own stories um, we have a section for that as well we're on instagram we're slowly growing that way i feel like that that's been a huge help once we took it to social media. Yeah, it's reached a lot of people that way. Our tag is just at the No Society. We've got an email address. Uh, a lot of people have been reaching us there actually. And it's just uh, the No Society at gmail.com. I guess if it's if a DM is what you're comfortable with, go for it. You know, if you want to full on just send your story to the email address and not have any community or conversation with us at all, that's fine. Or if you want to fully engage and like start a, a relationship, let's talk. a friendship, let's, talk let's about do it. it. Anonymous is huge. We we will 100% respect your wishes if you want to stay completely anonymous. Um, it'll stay between the two of us. If you want to stay completely anonymous from the two of us and only talk to Riley, I totally understand that. And vice versa. Exactly. So on our Instagram page, you'll find our individual handles as well. We'll completely respect everything that you guys ask of us. Because I know it's hard to remain anonymous when you're like emailing because then your name pops up or right. like you Instagram DM us and obviously we know who you are. But I actually have had some people uh, uh, reach out on our contact form, which we have on our website. Um, under mm. contact us we have a contact form you can fill out how to reach you someone or a couple people have given their phone numbers and so we actually don't know who you are we just have your phone number mm. i've texted a couple people anonymously yeah for weeks for, for weeks <laughs> before we have a name it yep. takes some people a while to warm up to showing their faces some people it's easier to hide behind a screen without you know with keeping that anonymity and so if that works best for you then that's also an option thank you guys so much there's so much passion in this topic what yeah. we're doing we could talk for hours it radiates through the computer screen you guys are so extremely well spoken it's kind of mind-blowing that is because it comes from a place of passion and i can tell you guys are just so driven to want to help people the first zoom or google hangouts or whatever date that riley and i had it literally we started it at like seven and it went until what twelve thirty. It was so long. It was so, and it, <laughs> and mind you, this was the first time that we had ever, ever talked in our whole talked lives. in our whole lives, and we just went off, and it was this is what we want to do, and we're just banging ideas out. It's just not That's talked about incredible. enough, and so Absolutely. you've got all this built up like stuff you want to say, but it's not socially acceptable yet to say in public, and so obviously we want to change that. We try to as much as we can in our yeah, friend yeah, yeah. groups. Yeah, to have like a safe place to be able to just let it all out. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. It's refreshing and mm -hmm. it's it's really relieving too. Like after I have any 
any sort of meeting with Riley, whether it's in person or it's, you know, we're FaceTiming or it's over Skype or whatever, I feel so good afterwards because I'm like, yes, my energy is wholeheartedly like matched. Like it is Aww. so, it is so, you are right there with me. And Same I've, girl. I've never had that. I know that this can, this can be really, really good. Like what we're mm-hmm. doing, we keep getting these random little like moments of affirmation where it's like, yes, what we're doing right now is exactly what we need to be doing right now. It's very, we are both fully prepared to sacrifice our lives. Absolutely. To commit to this yes. full time once we have the resources to do so. With us helping other people with their healing journey, it it helps us as well because that mm-hmm. journey is is never stopping. That journey is, it lasts forever and it goes on for the rest of your life. I think the more that we help and we have other people come to us for that for that safety and for that security it's like you know you can you can do this so let's let's i am also okay and the more i listen to other people the less yes. alone i feel yes every story that we've read is is just the spectrum is huge like mm-hmm. the spectrum of assault is massive mm-hmm. and it could be something so simple like oh my gosh, I don't know, I was sleeping and like my boyfriend groped my boobs or like I was sleeping and like this happened. And it could be to someone that could seem so minor versus like, oh my gosh, I was raped. We're here to shed light on all of it. and affirm. Exactly. And to, you know, make people feel like you said, make people not feel alone because it's like your story may be different from my story or Riley's story or, you know, your girlfriend's story, but it's still a story. And Let's talk about it. Been so much healing already from the stories that have been posted. Like we'll have a story posted and then we'll have a bunch of people respond and be like, oh, like this was so affirming to me. I feel so much less alone. Um, That really empowers me to go get help or empowers me to tell my story too. Something that brings so much life to not Mm -hmm. only you, but others. When you're ready. And you'll know when that is. That's the thing. Like we've had a lot of people, they're like, oh yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I think I'm ready, but like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, girl, just wait, just wait. You know, just wait, you'll know. Yeah, you'll sit know. on it for a bit. Think about and it, yeah. when I shared my story, I had thought about it for a long time and I was writing it for a while. But when I did it, I was like, okay, it's in the universe. I literally threw my hands up in the air and I was like, it's not in my hands. Like I'm, it mm. is out of my hands. This is so public, oh my gosh. But after I had shared my story and after I opened up about my own experiences, we had so many downloads and submissions and we had so many people say oh my gosh if kim can do it so can i here's my story and we're like holy shit this is so overwhelming but we i was literally floored like my jaw was on the floor for like four days straight amazing if you guys listeners if you guys want to check out the blog check out the instagram we'll leave all of the links in the show notes in the show description whether you're listening on spotify or apple Podcasts or on anchor yeah follow them on instagram send them an email if you want to share your story if you just want to reach out and feel a little less alone they are clearly here for you i think they proved that in this episode today (laughs) i think it's important for us to express too like we're not only wanting stories like we want a huge thing that riley and i have been talking about is like we want art submissions like i think it would be so cool like send in your you know like riley posted a couple of days ago her poetry Mm -hmm. and this is my poetry that helped me heal and i think you know if you have coping strategies and you have whether it be art or it be you know your actual stories or it be whatever like any sort of emotion or any sort of anything regarding this topic 
let's talk about it. I don't care what form it is. We are, we don't filter anything. No. We don't put any sort of restrictions or guidelines or anything like that. Like it can be as raw or as fluffy as you want it. Yeah, even if it's like a literal haiku or like a tiny little picture that you drew, like literally anything, because a lot of our, our I guess our, our viewers also, you know, might not be in a place where they can read a, a six, to 20 paragraph story, yes. they might actually only be able to communicate Visually. through art. And so yes. that's super important yes. as well. Everybody copes differently. Getting that variety and showing people like, hey, other people cope like this too. I understand why you're drawing because this person draws also, you know? Art and is so important. And I think you guys are saying that right now would kind of make some light bulbs go off. People might think the only way that they can communicate is through words or through physically speaking then then they're thinking oh i don't have to do that if that's too scary i can i can draw i can paint i can write a song whatever i feel like mm -hmm. i should also add that we've had a couple people who, who writing isn't really their forte kind of ask for us to kind of uh you know write alongside them or like uh help them put their story to words and that is also something we can do Thank you very much for coming on. We are so appreciative. This was, it was very much fun, despite the circumstances of why you're on here. <laughs> we yeah. want to make it as light as we can with still getting our point across. Yeah, empowering, Absolutely. encouraging. Yeah. Good things. Thanks for having us. Very Thanks fun. so much. 